Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Talking Adapted PE Podcast. In just a little bit here, we're going to get going with Barry LeVay and go really deep on behavior management. But before we do that, I have to tell you about JustAdapted.com. Matt Barker and his team have worked really hard to create a website that is the single most resourceful stop on the internet for an adapted PE teacher. Again, it's JustAdapted.com. Be sure to head there after the show and check out all the great resources they have for you that are 100% free. I think you'll find it really useful and you'll find yourself going back more and more. Welcome to another episode of the Talking Adapted PE Podcast. I am here with Dr. Barry LeVay, formerly of Cal State Long Beach. Barry, welcome to the show. Hi, Scott. Chris, thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, that's okay. A Freudian slip there of the OG <laughs> of Adapted Phys Ed Podcasting. Shout out Scott McNamara. <laughs> Big friend of the show. He's been so kind to me taking this on and uh, has helped me. So I actually take that as a compliment, Barry. So no worries about it. And I'll try to do better. No, uh, no, we're great. great we're off start. Perfect start, actually. Uh, so I have Barry here today who we are going to talk about behavior management, which I feel like no matter where you go in adapted phys ed, whether you're at a conference, whether you're talking to other teachers, uh, behavior management comes up. My first exposure to Barry, just for the listeners, was... Um, well, one, he cleared my credential in the state of California. Yeah. Thank you to you for that. But um, <laughs> when the Shape America conference might not have been called Shape at the time, but it was in San Diego and I was in a behavior uh, management presentation and you were in there providing perspective and it was it was great. It was wonderful. So mm-hmm. uh, that was when I realized you you were very dialed in in this space. So Barry, why don't you give everybody a little bit of your background and uh, just tell them about yourself? Sure. Before I do that, though, I want to thank you. Chris, for having me on. And I also want to thank you for the service you're providing to the community of adaptive physical education, because um, as you know, many times we're marginalized as a profession. Um, A lot of AP teachers, especially if they're in a rural area or if they're the only teacher in the district, they really feel isolated, you know, and and what a lot of uh, teachers tell me the you know, their in-services are not specific to their needs. So, you know, you're providing a really great service. You should really be proud of what you're doing. I really enjoy your podcasts. Um, the The other thing is a lot of my former students that teach their itinerants and they, when they're driving from school to school, that's when they listen to your podcast or they listen to to Scott's What's New and Adapted P podcast. So this is really an important service, you know, that you're providing. So thanks for doing that. That's really I know nice it's a lot of work. Thank you. Well, no, it's really nice to hear. So thank you. I appreciate sure, it. Sure, Chris. Yeah. So um, I thought I'd give you a little background, but talk about how I got involved in, in behavior management. So my first uh, job specific to adapt to P was in 1976. And that ironically was the year that the law passed. Uh, and it was 94-142. Now it's idea. And um it's hard to believe that like in my lifetime uh, that students before that with disabilities didn't have to go to school. So that whole idea of fab free appropriate education. So um, what year was that? Sorry, you said 1976, you know, and and, not that, I mean, a long ago, but not that long ago. Right. Sure. And, and so um, one of the things I had taught prior to that, uh, elementary PE. So when I took this job as an adaptive PE teacher, it was a self-contained school, 75 children with intellectual disabilities in a rural area in Illinois. And um, 
you know, I taught prior and I thought, okay, I'll just have great lesson plans and everything will be fine. And I learned immediately that if I didn't motivate my students, if I didn't um, build their trust, they would just shut down. And so I started to try to seek out information on behavior management. And in those days, there wasn't a lot of literature. Um, and in fact, there wasn't a lot of literature just specific to adaptive P. There were a lot of intro to, you know, a few intro to adaptive P books. But so what happened was um, I was fortunate enough to read this book by Daryl Seedentop called Developing Teaching Skills in Physical Education. And it was the first book to really look at physical education as a science or, you know, the pedagogy of physical education. And I mentioned this because this book had a huge impact on my on my life and career and reason I got into behavior management, because there were two chapters in that book that looked at um behavior management. But in those days, in the 70s, they didn't call it behavior management. They called it discipline. And so the first chapter looked at discipline and ways to uh, decrease, you know, uh, inappropriate behaviors. But the next chapter took a, a very behavioral approach, uh, which was the approach those days, operant conditioning, you know, and how to increase behaviors. And I was really struck by the fact that some of these things I was doing out of common sense, like I didn't know that these these uh, there was a science to this and they had terms. So like, for example, with my students, I was saying if you you do your warm ups and your look, you know, we do our locomotor skills at a routine and we, we do um, the lesson the last 10 minutes, I'll let you pick an activity that you want to do. And that basically was the premac principle. I didn't even know there was, you know, a, a strategy to that. And, you know, um, more preferred behavior on based on less preferred behavior. So I, I was there for four years, really learned a lot, made some mistakes, but, you know, really had, to, you know, 75 children with intellectual disabilities, you really had to rely on behavior management. So um, I, I decided that I wanted to um, work on my PhD, and uh, I went to the University of New Mexico. And I just had a really great experience there because I was on a federally funded grant, you know, through through public law 94142, similar to what's going on today. They still have, you know, these federal grants. And I benefited I, from a grant, so I, I know exactly what you're talking right. about. Right. So um, I had, there were like 15 uh, master students in this program and adapted. There were five of us in the doctoral program, so I learned a lot from them. And I had two great professors, um, Frank Papsey, who just last year passed away at 101 years of age, and um, Ernie Lang. So um, one of the things they instilled in me is that anytime you said anything, they would say, where's the research to support that? You know, today we call that evidence-based practices. So that was really drummed into me. And uh, I knew I wanted to do my dissertation on behavior management, but there weren't a lot of people, like I said, writing about it, or there wasn't a lot of literature. Um, it was mostly in psychology and, and, and special ed. But Daryl Seedentop, like I told you, was writing with primarily in general physical education with his doctoral students. But Ron French, who at the time was at the University of Utah, um, he was writing about, you know, this this uh, area of behavior management, specific to physical education and disabilities. And so I I um, called him out of the blue. And like in those days, you couldn't email, you couldn't text. Um, if you wanted to get a hold of somebody, you wrote them a letter or you made sure when their 
uh, office hours when you called him. And we talked probably for 45 minutes. He was really gracious. And um, I little did I know that was going to be the beginning of this long relationship with Ron professionally and both personally. And so after I was done at the University of New Mexico, I spent two years on the grant. And then two years, I was an itinerant AP teacher, collected my data while I was teaching and, and on behavior management. And then Ron and I started to write very practitioner-oriented articles in behavior management. And he brought Hester Henderson in, um, who had graduated from Utah. And by this time, Ron was at Texas Women's University. And my first job was at Fort Hayes State, very small school. Um, and we, we started writing. So in 1997, Hester and I and, and Ron wrote the first book, you know, specific to behavior management, and it's gone into the third edition. So in that like 70s and, and 80s, there weren't a lot of people really st still writing about behavior management, like Don Hellison, who everybody teaching personal social responsibility. He started writing in the 80s humanistic approach because mostly the approach was the behavioral approach. And um, then in 19, um, uh, you know, I was there from 80 to 84. I was at Fort Hay State. But in 1988, the job at uh, Long Beach State opened up. And prior to that, uh, in 84, my wife and I got invited to go to the National AP Conference and it was in uh, Stockton, California. And there were 700 people at this conference that in adapted physical education. And I was just blown away because I taught in Illinois, Kansas, you know, New Mexico, gone to conferences there. And you're lucky if you get 25 people in a room interested in adaptive PE. So I really wanted to get a higher ed job in California. And I was fortunate enough when the Long Beach State job uh, opened up, I, I applied, and it had a long, rich history dating back to Darn Dan Arnheim in the 60s. It was the first certification program in California, and he wrote the first intro book that's now in its, like, 14th edition. Um, so so uh, I, I began to write with Hester and Ron, you know, all those years we started writing team, and I was really fortunate because I've learned a lot from my university students. We'd have these on-campus practicums and they'd come up with some really creative ways and we would work on some things dealing with behavior management. And um, I know that's kind of a long-winded answer, but the point I'm trying to make is we started out with discipline, you know, as, as really um, people would just look at behavior management first as um, that's what you do to, to control students or to you know, decrease inappropriate behaviors. And I always um, was seeking out answers, you know, out of desperation at times to how can I enhance my students' performance, you know? And um, I think we've come a long way because now we look at behavior management as a way to, you know, en enhance their student performance. And we, we call it positive behavior intervention and support or practitioners usually call it behavior management. But I gave you that link on positive behavior intervention support, massive link, all kinds of strategies. And most of them are, um, you know, they're all evidence-based by the Department of Education and, and they have to go through like research. And so um, I think that's, a, that's really important. Well, yeah. let's talk about, let's talk, first of all, I, um, to enhance student learning, I just really like that part of it, right? Like, sure. um, I think that that's great. And I even think of, 
when I'm supporting students um, with, on a consult basis, so I'm just maybe supporting them in general physical education, and I'm now trying to run through all the general PE teachers in my head too, and I'm like, do they like do they set their class up along with how they want to manage behavior to enhance student learning? Like it's a very it is a different philosophy, right? It is different. So let's just maybe we can break it down a little bit. You brought up positive behavior management, which is different. Right. Than maybe even myself, the age I am. Um, just turning 40 recently, you know, when I was raised, it was probably still just based on discipline and today sure. positive. So can you maybe walk through what does positive behavior management mean? Right. And also, how does that relate to enhancing student learning? Yeah. So, and, and that's, like I said, out of, out of desperation, I was seeking that, like, you know, I think motivation, you know, and how a lot of these strategies can really help to motivate students. But I look at like, what I like to do is I like to say there's both an art and a science to behavior management. And so the science part, like we talked about, is are you using evidence-based practices? Are you using, are you going first to positive practices? And so in, in our textbook, like we talk about, I always look at a continuum. Teachers are very quick to go straight to discipline or to punishment or to time out. You know, the research supports that, that the number one strategy is time out. What, what, um, what I like to think of is you've got this continuum that you go proactive, you know, you pre-plan, you try a lot of things before you walk into the gym, you organize your gym, and then you go to positive practices. You, you, we can get really get into that. You try to develop a warm, nurturing, positive environment. And, but you're still going to have challenging behaviors and you may have to decrease or what I like to call redirect. I don't use the term punishment. I said, let's redirect that behavior that's inappropriate or whatever. So, so positive behavior management is you want to go to positive practices first. And that gets into your developing a whole philosophy of behavior management. Want me to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, why, don't I think, you go, yeah, why don't you talk about like having a philosophy of behavior? Yeah, because Maybe I think every teacher should probably have that in their toolbox, right? Right. So behavior management is really embedded in your philosophy of teaching, and it, it's part of that. Um, but I think the the biggest thing is your philosophy is just that it's your philosophy and it's part of your personality and those types of things. But I think when you're talking behavior management you're really talking about how do I connect with my students? If I was going to just mention one thing about uh, that's really important, I said, you got to connect before you can direct. I like to use um, little sayings and bumper stickers because my university students, they may not remember everything I said, but they'll remember those bumper stickers, you know? Right. So, so connecting with your students, that sounds pretty easy, but it's, it, it can be really challenging. Um, it's, it can be as simple as when they walk in the gym, you're there to greet them. You ask them how their day's going. You, you check in with them. When they leave and exit, maybe you tap out with them. But, but it can also be um, challenging in the sense of really trying to get to know those students and being genuine um, and asking them, you know, questions about their family, questions about their pet, what's their favorite sport, that type of thing, and really getting to know them and developing this you know, trust, warm, nurturing environment. But it goes beyond that because you, you're you going to have children that are nonverbal and you need to check in with that those paraprofessionals who know that student, that special ed teacher. Um, you need to like, for example, um, 
send a survey or an interview out to the uh, parents of the of the student, and that that requires work. Um, when we had our on-campus uh, practicum, um, the first half hour of the practicum, each one of my university students would be assigned a student, and they would develop a behavior management plan. But one of the things they had to do was develop a, a survey of questions about that they would send to the parents and, and interview the parents and ask them questions like, you know, what does your child like to do at home? What physical activity do you do as a family, for example? Um, are there triggers? Are there things that trigger your, your child? You know, there's a number of questions you can ask. And, and so connecting with the students is, is part of your, you know, philosophy. Um, I think the other thing about developing a behavior management philosophy, it, it, it requires like intentional planning and it re requires you to reflect. I, I think another really important teaching strategy is deep reflection. And it's hard. Chris, you can relate. I mean, you're an itinerant and you're traveling around to different schools. You can't sit down between schools and really sit there and contemplate and reflect on your philosophies at times. But I think you can when you walk out of the gym, say, hey, how did that go? What do I need to do better next time? That Those types of things. I never walked out of a gym teaching and, and said, you know, I always said to myself, hey, what went well? What 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 could I do better? Um, but there are times when I think oh, that's missing. Sorry to jump in, Barry. But yeah, I think that that um, I don't think in my experience of going between schools and seeing a variety of teachers. And seeing very good teachers, even to be clear, I'm not saying that makes them a bad teacher, but the reflection piece. Um, and I remember going through student teaching, we were we were required to actually keep a journal. Right. That was like reflective, that was intended to be reflective. I can't promise you I keep a journal, but I at least, you know, reflect on what I'm doing. And then I also just wanted to touch on some of the points you made of the, like making the connection with students. So my, um, I guess you could call it a philosophy. I've never labeled it as such, but um I want to be, my goal is to be the best part of the student's day. That is mm -hmm. my, goal. my goal is, and I often tell um, some of my, um, when I'm, when I do some uh, inclusive teaching, I talk to the high school gen ed kids and I say, Hey, uh, not that I wouldn't have this conversation with my kids. It was just the times I've had, it's been more appropriate to share with uh, my, my general ed students. And I say, Hey, you might not remember a single physical education thing I teach you. Of course, I hope that's not the case, but my ultimate goal is that you will remember that there's a teacher that like cared about your well-being that uh, ultimately fostered a sense of inclusion and positivity and things of that nature. So sure. I appreciate you raising that because I do think if you build that rapport uh, with kids and go so much further, one thing I like to do is greet my students at the door and when they're coming right. through, have a different nerdy question every day. What's your favorite candy? What's your favorite physical activity to do? What's your, who's going to win the Super Bowl? You know, stuff like that. And sure. it's one of the days that... I've been less prepared and maybe didn't have a question. They're like, where's the question or where's the dad joke or whatever I'm doing that day. They start to look for it. And, and, you know, you of realize course. that connection's being made. Especially children with disabilities. And yeah. like, you know, if you, if you uh, don't follow the routine, they go, Hey, we're supposed to always do this first. You know, right. like exactly. I thought we were supposed to get on the poly spots. So like what happened? Right. But yeah. So that really gets into this whole thing about a warm, nurturing environment uh, where they feel the joy of physical activity. You know, my philosophy is pretty simple, that physical activity is for everyone. And I want them to feel the joy of, of movement so that they would do it for a lifetime. Absolutely. You know, you know that that's that's a pretty simple 
uh, philosophy, but to really do that, especially for children with disabilities that have had some negative experiences or that have been put down. Or it's um, difficult. It's just naturally harder. Right. It's hard for them. Um, I, I used to have this sign um, in the gym, no put downs in the gym. I may not be able to control the um, entire school or, you know, environment, but I, I can control the environment in the gym where it's warm, it's nurturing, it's positive. We still have expectations. There's still learning going on, but um, you know, they, they can't, the point you made is, is a really good one is that most, most students can't wait to go to adaptive PE. That's one of the, you know, we have some great equipment. We have uh, music. We have music. Yeah. You know, so um well, let me ask let me ask you this. That's Barry. challenging, you know. Right. Let me let me ask you this. Um, we might have we might have individuals listening that like hearing behavior management philosophy may be the first time they've thought about it in that context. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe provide some examples uh and, and put it in layman's terms for the common practitioner to understand, maybe, but some different behavior management approaches that maybe exist as they start to think about, oh, do I have a philosophy? Should I have a philosophy? Maybe I already have one and I didn't know it was a philosophy. Can you maybe talk yeah. about some of the different approaches? And I think that's part of it. When I read Seton Top's book, I said, geez, I'm doing some of these things. I didn't even know it I was. Most people are doing them, you know? Right, a strategy. And so I think the first question that uh, teachers should ask themselves if when they're developing this philosophy, you know, and that requires, like we talked about, reflection. That's, that's a critical thing, you know, when you're working with teachers and, and training is that to me, like reflection, intentional planning, and um, get, you know, the and, and connecting with your students. Those are the that's the strong foundation to a philosophy. So, to put it in layman terms, like one of the things, the first things I would ask, you know, is are you going to positive practices first? Are you following a continuum where um, you're pre-planning before you even walk in the gym? Um, and, and are you you go trying to go to positive practices before you go to to uh, discipline or before you go to timeout or before you try those things? So um, a typical like strategies would be proactive. So pre-planning. So let's talk about some proactive strategies. So for example, do you have expectations or, or rules for your for your students? And those rules should be. Um, pretty general, but like philosophically, I think everybody would agree, like you want your students to be safe. You know, that's the number one thing you want them um, to learn. And in order to do that, maybe they have to listen to instructions. You want them um, to try their best, right? You want them to um, cooperate with other students. So you, you might develop some expectations. Um, Let's let's another example would be you've got to develop routines. All right. And I, I think the adaptive physical educators learn trial and error that they've got to be consistent. They got to have routines, you know, but um, can they systematically and consistently do that? that? That's a real hallmark to behavior management. Are you are you systematic? Are you consistent? Do you do it? you know, all the time. So we always walk in the gym, we greet the students, and then they stand on their poly spot, make eye contact, and then we start like warm up, that that type of thing. And so you, you want to examine your program. And if things aren't going well, you need to ask yourself first, as a teacher, why isn't it going well? 
and, and maybe put it on yourself. I think too often teachers say, you know, like some teachers will say, well, it's the student's fault. I think adaptive physical education has been my experience. They're really good at, at taking responsibility and saying, hey, you know, I could do better. Or if if there's a, a problem in the gym, maybe I haven't like um, set it up. You know, maybe I've set my students up for failure, you know. So so that's another. So routines like we're always going to rotate to the right. I used to say clockwise, but nobody knows we use yeah. digital clocks now. Yeah. So we always, you know, or we have countdowns. We're going to go from station one to station two in less than five seconds, five, four, three. You know, those are so that that's and you're consistent in doing that. That's part of your uh, philosophy. So routines are real specific. And it's something you do over and over again in your gym. Your routines are are your routines specific to your setting. But there's some that are classic like entering the gym exiting the gym handing out equipment distributing equipment you know um transitioning from one activity to another that's another thing chris that students that teachers really struggle with especially first year my students would struggle like getting you know students to transition from one activity to the next so maybe using music when the music's on we're moving when the music's off we stop, okay? Um, having arrows, you know, we're, we're going this way, we're going to rotate this way. Um, and having countdowns, you know, uh, using equipment for transitions. So th those are those are really uh, critical. Um, so if, if I was looking at the uh, philosophy too, is that this idea of catching kids being good or in the literature, they would call positive pinpointing. So um, trying to make uh, three or four positive statements to one, uh, you know, inappropriate, you know, a statement that's negative and like asking yourself, am I, you know, recording yourself teaching and saying, am I making, am I being positive? Am I making positive statements? And those statements need to be genuine, genuine. And like when you're giving praise, it needs to be descriptive and it needs to be detailed. Um, one of the things that a lot of teachers do, a lot of students do, is they just walk around saying good job, even if the child's not doing the movement correctly. And so, you know, instead, like, hey, Chris, um, you stepped on the poly spot and threw the ball. Great, because you're trying to get them to step with opposition. You don't want to give them too many too much chunks of information because they may not be able to process it. You know, like, like teachers sometimes will give them five or six chunks of information and they can't process it. So there, there's a lot of, of, you know, teacher proximity. Do you rotate around the gym? Do you, if you have a student that is acting inappropriately, instead of going to timeout, do you stand next to them and give them a quick look that they know, Hey, it's time to get on task. You know, it's that so interesting to listen to these because I think of, it's not just adapted PE. It's pro it's just it can fall in the good teaching bucket. I think sometimes we get so focused on mm -hmm. oh adapted phys ed versus right you basically when reality is good teaching is good teaching right yeah uh, everything that when we you know wrote our textbook I mean the reality is we wrote it in physical education and we had a chapter on you know challenging behaviors and kids at risk and so forth and stuff like that but the reality this is just like you know a uh, good gymnasium management one of the one of the challenges with with managing the gym is very different than managing the classroom 
you know, because it's open. And if you're out in the field or it's open. Yeah. And so it's 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 different. And that's one of the real challenges that that are on the in-service level is that when um, they go to a, a teachers go to a behavior management workshop and it's for special ed, you can learn a lot of things. Um, and you, but you have to be able to apply that. I, when I was working on my doctorate, I had a, a be, you know, um, applied behavior analysis class in special ed. And I would just sit there and imagine, okay, how do I use these strategies specific to the gym? I had one of the top people in the, in the country, this Deb Smith, um, but she wasn't given examples in physical education. I had to do that in my mind, you know, and, and so that's what teachers need to, to do. How does this relate to my gym? You know, how does this relate to my kids? How does this relate to uh, physical education? Um, so, and so I, I just want to jump in and kind of summarize okay. for people the things I'm picking up and learning from this yeah. conversation, which is great. And it's, it's interesting to me because you actually haven't like touched on like a, um, like what am I trying to say? Like anything to elicit an actual like specific behavior, the things you're touching on, I think are really important again to good teaching, right? Um, have a routine, be consistent. So the kids mm -hmm. know what to expect. I think this kind of falls all in that, like just setting yourself up for success, right? Like that's first and foremost, what yes. can you do? And that starts with a routine and being specific, planning. which is even before you get to any sort of behavior management plan. Right. Right. And so that becomes the challenge. Like when we like, that a lot of times behavior management is embedded in teaching. And so it, it doesn't get discussed that, hey, the, you need to do these things or these are important or this is part of your behavior management. You know, I think some people just think of behavior management as discipline. You know, like I said, way back at the beginning, I'm looking at student, you know, is the environment set up for learning? You know, so let's jump in there and let's say the environment is set up for learning. They do a nice job. Um, but ultimately behaviors still arise and we know behaviors, yes. it can be a form of communication. There could be an antecedent mm -hmm. coming from a previous environment that we right. may have caught on to. There's a variety of things, right? So yeah. uh, environments set up for success. Let's start there, but ultimately behaviors are still popping up in right. students. Um, you know, so what kind of goes into designing yeah. behavior management plan then, you know, what, right. you know, what mm -hmm. is that part of it? So, so that's, that problem is a lot of times um, everything you're talking about, a lot of general physical educators say, well, that's an adaptive P thing, you know, the challenging behaviors. Like when we start getting into setting up a behavior management plan is pretty, um, it can be simple. There's four steps, you know, like you're, first of all, you want to define, analyze the behavior. You want to collect data, you know, baseline data, like what, what's going on with the behavior. Um, then you do some type of intervention and then you evaluate if the program is working. And, and then um, you're constantly in a cycle, in a loop, and you're doing this. Now, I that's pretty simple. But one of the things that a lot of teachers really struggle with is that part about analyze and um, define the behavior. So let's talk a little bit about that and unpack that. So when I uh, talk to teachers and, and I, I ask them about defining the behavior and I'll say, well, what do you want your students to do? And they say, oh, I want them to cooperate. So what I say to them is, what does that look like? Because what I'm really asking them is, um, is you need to come up with a behavior that's observable 
and measurable. And so cooperate might look like I want student A um, who is on the spectrum and is not very social to share two pieces of equipment with his partner by the end of a 30 minute lesson. Now, what have I just done, Chris? I've written basically a behavioral objective. Teachers in Adapted do this all the time. They write IEPs and they write um, you know, behavioral objectives and benchmarks that are, are very behavioral, but they it's skill oriented. All right. Uh, uh, on an IEP. And they don't always do that for um, behaviors. And so it's the same thing that they're doing. A, B, C, D, uh, audience, behavior, condition, degree. So now you, you've got you can measure it and then you can say, OK, uh, another example is we want our students to participate in the activity. All right. So now. Um, how do you measure that? Like you want them to stand on their poly spot and you want them to make eye contact with you and do the first activity. Now, collecting baseline data, like if the child can only do that for a minute, it's unrealistic to think that they're going to do it for 30 minutes, right? And so you might start out with a schedule where you reinforce them every couple of minutes when they're staying on task. And so I remember I was working with a student teacher and he was in a preschool and class and this student wouldn't participate, but was really into the um, Disney cars, you know? So he would, if he was on his poly spot and doing the warm up activity or whatever the activity was, and he did it for um, two minutes, then he could go over with the paraprofessional off to the side on a table, play with his, the car for 30 seconds, come back and do the activity. And then they slowly started to wean him off it, you know, from two minutes. Then he started um, this thing where he would get a a schedule with a visual and he'd have a card and he says, I'm working for, and every two minutes uh, he would get a smiley face on his card, you know, that's laminated. And he he would have to get five of those before he could play with his toy car. And each one, he would get two minutes. Now they're getting 10 minutes of time out of them, right. you know, as opposed to a lot of teachers get frustrated and say, you know, I can't get this student to do anything. They won't do anything. And they, they're, they expect too much, you know, 30 minutes or so. That's why collecting baseline data is important. Um, because if your student can only do five sit-ups, you know, and we're talking about frequency, um, it's unrealistic to think they're going to do 25 sit-ups, you know, immediately. And so you, you're right. consistent, you're scheduled, you're systematic. So the same thing with time. It's unrealistic to think that kid's going to do give you 30 minutes. That's, so there's two ways to look at behaviors, the duration of it or the frequency of it, you know. But the other thing that that um, teachers analyzing the behavior of the function, what you asked, Chris, about the fun, what you're really talking about is the function of the behavior. So when I would be in our uh, practicum and, and we would have these nonverbal students that would be screaming and my students would give me a look like, you know, what do we do? And I says, they're trying to tell you something. And in general, it might be one, they're avoiding or one, escape the activity. It, you know, those are a couple of things. It could be sensory. And a big thing, it also could be they're seeking attention. You know, they they're thinking the only way that they can get attention is by acting inappropriately because they've seen other like students act inappropriately and they get the attention. That's another problem that a lot of teachers do is they 
basically give all their attention to the students that are acting inappropriately. Have you ever seen, pro, you know, programs like that? And so, so some students really pick up on that. The other thing is sensory, like our gyms are, they're echoing, they're lots of lines in the gym, you know, there's a lot going on there. And so you got to try to analyze that behavior. What's going on? Is it a sensory issue? And, and that's why you're not alone. You got to talk to the uh, classroom teacher um, about are there things that trigger this student um, with the paraprofessional, with the parents, you know, and, and but that takes time. That takes a lot of work. And, and functional behavior analysis is really, really challenging, you know, especially if the kid's nonverbal. The other thing is looking at really looking at the behavior. You brought up the point about ABC, antecedent behavior consequence. So if I have the student walk in the gym and just start running around, um, the antecedent, I'm I should put a poly spot up there. That's everything we've been talking about earlier about proactive. Those are all antecedents. I when you walk in, you stand on your poly spot. That could. And then if they stand on their poly spot and they make eye contact when they start doing the first activity, then you give them a favorable consequence, right? Or, or you, you praise them. And so ABC is simple, but it's hard because everything revolves around the behavior. And if, and if, if you can't really clearly define and observe the behavior about what's going on, then you're, you're challenged. And so I think um, a lot of people really struggle because behaviors, it's a lot easier to analyze a skill. You know, if the kid's not stepping with opposition, you know, you can see that. But, but you've got to make it, the behaviors observable. What are they doing? Why are they doing? Everything's, you know, it, it revolves around that that behavior. I think the most important thing you said um, in all of that, uh, and there's so much great uh, information to unpack, but I think the most important thing you said is um, talk to the team. And the reason I've found that yeah. to be so important in my career is that I have the kids for 30 minutes to maybe right. an hour, right? I, I have them for a very small fraction of the week, let alone day even. Sure. Um, the teacher, the aides, they know these kids better than we do. Mm -hmm. Of course, we want to build it up to the point where we get to know them. Um, and so lean on them. What strategies are they using? Um, do, if they're using a first then chart, could it come with them to physical, yes. physical edge, PE, whatever the, you know, whatever it is. And then the other thing I would say is if the student is showing up having a great day or there are not behaviors arising in the classroom and they have it, they have it uh, managed and handled well, but you're noticing things in your setting and to your point, our setting is not necessarily sensory friendly. It could be a variety of things. I would still lean into the team. I might say to the teacher, be like, hey, I know you're normally not here when I teach, but would you pop your head in? I'm having a hard time. Can we formulate a plan? Can we try to put something together? Because um, you're not in this alone, right? You're trying to manage the students' behaviors. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that that team part, you know, the speech teacher might have a strategy that, you know, mm -hmm. because communication is often difficult for our students, right. the speech teacher may have something, or maybe the OT figured something out. So mm -hmm. that team piece is, is really, really important. The other thing, as you talked about, you know, earning smiley faces that ultimately led to playing and they, you know, you built it up to 10 minutes is I think when people think of behavior management, maybe I'm just speaking for myself through history. That's what I've thought of, right? And maybe I found that part of it overwhelming that I don't know where to start or what to make, right? The visual part, I don't know what to make. But the reality is if you do the parts that you've laid out of try to analyze the behavior, 
so that you better understand the behavior. That kind of answers your question on that back end of, of giving, it's kind of your roadmap of what you try to then create yes. for them to be successful. Is that That's so critical because what happens is uh, teachers and students, they can't figure out the behavior. And so that's the first step and then you're lost, you know? And so the, the idea of being systematic. So you, you said a lot of um, unpacked some things about you're not alone. I think a lot of times at PE teachers, uh, especially general PE, they, they feel, Oh, geez, I can't go to somebody. It's a sign of weakness or whatever. Um, but but it goes so much better if you have a school-wide behavior management plan. So I talk about, you know, you want to try to develop a school, you know, school-wide or, or work with that teacher. But sometimes you have to do it alone. Sometimes they don't have a behavior management plan. I'm always kind of, sh I'm shocked sometimes when I, I would talk to a special ed teacher and say, tell me a little bit about your behavior management plan. And they didn't have one, um, you know. But 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 that that happens. And so there's a lot there's you want to go school wide if you can. And you want to really tap into your paraprofessionals and use them. And that's a whole nother topic. We could do a whole episode on paraprofessionals. Right. right? And, and there's veteran teachers really know they really lean in. They text with, you know, is there some how's that's why you tap in or check in. You're trying to connect with your students, but you're also trying to find out how's their day going. You know, okay. did they have you know, a, a bad day already and they're something triggered them or uh, they didn't even like get to school and they they had an issue at home, you know, or they're going through a divorce or and that's that that all takes time. That's all like connecting, you know, and finding out what's going on. And that's that's um that's challenging, especially when you have a caseload of 56, 60, 70 kids or whatever or you know, or that general PE teacher is overwhelmed and you really got to lean on that paraprofessional, uh, the classroom teacher, the, the adaptive PE teacher, if, if, if it's an inclusion class. And one that's overlooked is, does your district have a behavioral interventionist? The other thing is, Chris, is when it, it becomes a real problem, one of the things I ask is, is this child on a behavior intervention plan? You know, a lot of times everybody looks at the IEP, but if they have like extreme behaviors, are they on a BIB, you know, a behavior intervention plan? Well, then is and, that BIP being shared, right? That's the other I, thing. Being yeah, shared. because there's some great stuff in there. There's like, what are the triggers? What is reinforcing to the student? I right. mean, that's like a, a roadmap and that's overlooked. Well, and just for maybe there's newer teachers listening or you you even referenced, maybe there's some pre-service teachers listening. Um you know, if you get called into a, a tricky IEP meeting with a family that has maybe brought some legal representation in, yeah, first thing they're going to ask is, did you follow the BIP? And then if you're like, there's a BIP, like, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, and so it, it does, it does have these larger things. I want to, I want to back up just a little bit. You, you, well said. you, you, you mentioned a school-wide um, mm -hmm. behavior, let's call it a behavior management approach, I would say, yeah. school-wide and, you know, does, does the individual plan fall and align with that? Um, and I think there's another layer to that, that if you're maybe in a larger district, there may be a district-wide approach yes. to as well, that they are asking the schools to build their plan within the boundaries that they've laid out as a district, right? Um, and so, again, I come back to communication. That's probably a great question to ask if you're assigned a new school site or if you're just not even sure at your school site. 
just check in and be like, hey, do we do we have a school wide behavior management approach? Um, because that would actually be your starting point. And then just like on the how we teach our kids, we may need to individualize that more. But you know, that may actually be your starting point. And I would be I would be willing to bet a lot of teachers don't even think about a school wide or a district wide approach to behavior management. Especially what's challenging is let's say they're assigned five, six schools, you know, and and they're all real different. When I was in Albuquerque itinerant, I had two middle schools a mile apart and they were just they might as well have been 25 miles apart when it came to be the way they handled behavior management and they had the same socioeconomic background, you know, the kids and everything. And so um, it's really challenging when you're an itinerant. Uh, but but that's some, you know, everything we're talking about takes time and and takes building trust and reaching out, you know, to your personality. Some people, don't, you know, they, they don't always feel comfortable reaching out. Um, but those are all like a, a school-wide plan. And so, you know, I think about like, let's say you're setting up uh, catching kids being good. And there's a school-wide plan like where uh, their mascot's a panther. And so you you have panther cards and, and any child you catch them like helping another student, you give them a panther card. Um, they can collect so many panther cards and they can uh, trade that in at the school st store. You know, the, those are the kinds of things is um, that you do. Um, well, we're teaching in a time now too, Barry, where those SEL components are really the foundation of a lot of the schools, quite honestly, right? Yes, so, right. You know, I just dropped my daughter off this morning and she's in TK and there's, you know, they name the hallways Cooperative Way and right. Avenue and Grit, you know, Street or whatever. And so this, these sort of, um, these, these components, I think are actually being, taught more school-wide than maybe they they have historically been right and that's why what's ironic is don hellison teaching personal social responsibility you know he he started writing about this in the 80s and i remember sitting down and talking to him at a conference and and it was like around uh, 2000. I, I think it was actually in San Diego because when you were talking about the San Diego National Aford Conference and we present Ron and Hester and I presented with Don and um, I said, what do you think? Like it took 20 years for people to really get into this whole humanistic personal social responsibility model. Um I think too often, like in Adaptive P, we get labeled like we're, we're very behavioral. In our book, we really talk about being eclectic and looking at the behavioral approach, looking at the humanistic or looking at Don's stuff, personal social responsibility, um, looking at the biophysical, like uh, one of the questions you need to ask, what kind of medication and did they even take their medication? Uh, my wife's a special, was a special ed teacher. And I was always amazed at some of her kids, like their parents worked all night and, and they would get themselves up. They would make their own breakfast. And we're talking about eight, nine year olds, you know, that they're not living in leave it to beaver land, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, you wondered if they even took their medication or whatever. So there's all these like issues um, when you're talking about behavior management, and, and I think it's important to be, you know, looking at an eclectic approach that works. It's not a, I like to tell my students, it's not about you because some say I only use this approach or whatever. It's not about you. It's about the student. And, right. you know, we well, know about that eclectic you know. approach. And I was going to, this will, these comments will tie together. One, I was going to say that, um, 
you know, I had spoke so much about leaning into the team. Well, the reality is you may actually have a weak team and you may be the strongest part of that team. So also be confident in what you're doing. Educate mm -hmm. the aides about like, hey, you might, I don't know what's going on in the classroom. I've tried to look into it. Uh, I don't know. But here, while we're in my environment, let's try this. Here, I have this visual. Let's try this every two minutes, provide or whatever, and then they can do that. You know, an approach I took in a middle school is I was having a hard time. Students were coming dysregulated because of a lack of structure, ultimately, in, in yeah. the classroom. And so I was inheriting them dysregulated, which then in an already sort of dysregulating environment that PE can be, it was it was difficult. So I went to a model where, and I used it class-wide, um, I would, I bought a bunch of fake money, a bunch of fake $1 bills mm -hmm. and I paid my students. And so if they got a thumbs up for the day, they got $2. If they got a thumb sideways, it was a dollar. And then if they got a thumbs down again, I was just trying to keep the visual simple. I had a visual to go with it. Something that, you know, that they could, you know, they ultimately didn't get paid for the day, but that didn't mean they couldn't get paid the next day. And ultimately that culminated on a Friday where the store was open and mm -hmm. they could buy, they could buy things from me. And I, and I know that opens a whole other can of worms of, you know, food as reward, et cetera. But, you know, I was supporting the dollar over strategy for many of them, which is also a classroom. Often it's often an mm -hmm. IEP goal. But for me, I was able to say to the kids like, oh, are you earning your money? So even if they didn't have the best day, they could still earn some money, right? You know, and so that was an approach that worked for me. That, But again, that took practice and time to implement. I had to get the aides to understand that, hey, mm -hmm. remind them they're, they're earning their money today. Um, and it doesn't have to be money. It could be stickers. It could be whatever. But, you know, that was something I did that, that was class, that was sort of class wide. Um, but Barry, yeah. as we think of these approaches and, you know, and you can you can do it really cost effectively. Google has so many visuals available. But, you know, as people are maybe maybe they've listened to this and been like, oh, I want to try a star chart. So a star chart is when kids you mm -hmm. reference it doesn't have to be stars. It could be anything they like. Be creative. But they earn they earn a number of mm -hmm pictures of whatever you choose and then they get the reward that they've chosen mm -hmm. um do you have any do you have any resources of where people can mm -hmm. uh, access a lot of behavior management tools to kind of get the wheels turning for them yeah so so a few things are like what i think of what you're saying is i rewards is an app and they have little stars and you can have that on your tablet and you can uh use that on, and and one of the things that's really good about that not only does it show this like you get the star, but it, it makes an, uh, a sound and makes some music when the, when they get that and they, you can count those up. So I rewards. One of the things that um, I gave you a link to um, the CSULB APE um, social media site. Uh, a lot of our students develop all these kinds of programs and, and have all these schedules and things. And there's little one minute videos on the site where they could go and, and look at those. They'd have to hunt for them, you know, and, and go for them. But we do a, a lot of that because all our university students develop a, um, a behavior management plan on the student that they're assigned uh, to teach. And they come up with some really creative uh, uh, schedules and, and things. You know, you, you brought up a, a lot of things about um, reinforcement and, and school-wide program. So, um, yeah, it, you talked about like the IEP team. Like, like for example, I don't agree with using um, food as a reward, but if the IEP team decides that's what we're going to do, maybe I would just try to direct them, hey, can we make it a healthy snack? You know, right. So I have a student getting apple slices right now. Yeah, right. At, Which, in a high right. Setting. So, so again, it's not about you; it's about the student. Right. Um. But but when we're looking at different types of reinforcers, I have some rules 
Um, I'm, I'm really big on like, for example, one rule is use the least amount of intervention. So, so for example, um, our goal should be to move from extrinsic reinforcers to intrinsic reinforcers. But my argument to a lot of um, general educators who say, oh, geez, you know, they're like, you're using all this behavioral approach, operant conditioning stuff, you know, BF Skinner. Um, I say, you know, kids with disabilities need powerful reinforcers at first, you know, and what's, what's the alternative if they're not going to do anything, you know? And so, but it's, your goal is always to go from extrinsic to intrinsic, but the least amount of intervention, if you can get the, if you can get away with using praise and catching the kid being yeah. good, as opposed to a tangible reinforcer, then do that. Um, but the other thing that I like is if it's free, it's for me. That's another saying I use with, and, and, um, I think we should be using more physical activity reinforcers and privileges. Um, a, a lot of times teachers are quick to go to stickers, tangible reinforcers or whatever. And we have all this great activities. We have all these great equipment. And so I've always used the pre-MAC principle where if they, you know, do the activities on Friday, they could choose an act, you know, the activity they like, they can vote on all those types of things. And so uh, privileges are great. Like like students would say, um, I would always have some student come up and lead exercises with me. And but first they have to know how to do, they have to perform all the exercises before they get the privilege of doing the exercises. So going from praise and it can be nonverbal. It can be you know like just uh, a fist bump or high five. It can also be you know, you can use tangible reinforcers and sometimes just the, the ticket, you know, like as a thematic, like maybe it's a Halloween ticket during the Halloween and that alone is reinforcing to the kid or the sticker that they really like, but also go into physical activity and, and privileges. So if it's, I had a student that loved working out actually, it was very, yeah. so he would, um, when we weren't in the weight room for a unit, I would use the weight room as a reinforcer the, the, the reward right so yeah, yeah. And, and i think i share that example just so people listeners you know like make it work for you every kid's not going to be the same you're not going to have kids that are motivated by that but can you you know what what does sort of motivate them and that that was my dissertation in in the 80s i was struck by when i looked at the literature everything was tangible reinforcers and i said how come we're not using physical activity reinforcement and i compared tangible reinforcers to physical activity to increase fitness levels. And, and so, you know, it, actually it, to your point, you said, sorry to jump in, but yeah, yeah sure. You, you made a point about just your general philosophy of teaching was to get kids to fall in love with movement. So it ties right, right. in going all of the way course. back to your philosophy from when we started the dialogue, you know, it ties directly into that. And it's that's good. on their terms, right? It's something they've chosen. It's fun. So maybe they just enjoy shooting hoops. Maybe it's, or maybe they just enjoy something that, yeah, maybe it's not crushing their heart rate, but it's a physical activity that they enjoy. So I think it's a great point. Yeah. And a lot of our kids in our uh, on-campus practicum scooter board. Oh man, they just love that scooter board, you know? Yeah. Or So, yeah. So, so least amount of intervention, if it's free, it's for me. Also, you don't want to like overwhelm them with too many choices. You give them a couple of choices. Yeah. I think that's important um when, when you're looking at this um and and then you you can like start simple 
and then put layers to it like like you're talking about like you were talking about money and tv you know bucks and and that type of thing and so all of these things when you're looking at the behavioral approach you're really talking about contingencies mm -hmm. you know is that you do this and you get that and and you and then you just do layers like basically that i'm working for five uh smiley faces is just an extension of the premac principle Yep. But 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 the other thing, too, is that you got to ask yourself, um, is the reinforcement delayed? If it's at the end of the class, can this kid handle that? Do they need more immediate reinforcement? You know, so so there's there's more to it than that. And and, and you got to look at, like, for example, schedules and like with a token economy is really what we're talking about here when you when they're on a schedule is what can they handle at first? And then you slowly wean them off. Uh, you know, and make it extend, extend it. That's where I think teachers and students struggle is because it's, you know, the being systematic, being um, consistent, those types of things. I think that's what they struggle with. Yeah. And I think too, you know, we've mentioned general PE a few times, and I think some, some of the roadblocks that I've personally run into is that general PE teacher, um, misunderstanding the purpose of the system in place and thinking that that student is um, being rewarded when the other students don't get the same opportunity. And again, we have to, we almost have to educate the other educators sometimes mm -hmm. to explain to them that we're actually trying to elicit physical activity out of the student. And this is how we have to go about it because that's the level they're at. That's what their needs are. Um, and I know that I've personally ran into many general PE teachers that maybe view it as they just don't understand the context it's provided in. And so again, that's part, right. We, we wear so many hats in this adapted phys ed role. It's mm -hmm. not just the teaching with the kids. It's also the yeah. teaching of the adults and it's modeling, right. it's modeling quality mm -hmm. practices and, and those types of things. Yeah. You, great point is that what, what a lot of people struggle with is like, they say, well, I got to be consistent. You said to be consistent. And now you're telling me like you're individualizing. And so that's where we get into the art and science of behavior management. And how do we blend all that together? And how do we walk that fine line of, you know, uh, being fair? I think all, all students can accept the fact that if you're, you know, fair with students and you're genuine and, and those types of things and you build a trust with them and some students need more motivation than than others, you know, but what happens with some students, sometimes they see, OK, the kids that are acting inappropriately are getting all the attention. So that's what I need to do. There's research to show that that. By the time kids get in second or third grade, um, if they act appropriately, they get ignored. You know, we're getting a lot better at that. And so that's that thing about, you know, pin positive pinpointing. And and um, what I learned very early, one of the things Daryl Seedentop talked about is four positive statements to one corrective or negative statement. And so like in our um, adaptive P class, when they would teach, uh, one of the things we'd have them do is you can learn a lot recording your you know, you're teaching and then analyze and see how, what, how many positive statements you're making, yeah. you know, and it can uh, be as simple as just videotaping and watching it. That, that's the other thing is, you know, like we're so busy doing, uh, you know, teaching and especially when you're in the beginning stages and you're just focused on your lesson plan, it's just sometimes just, you know, recording your, your, on your phone, you know, just you're teaching and taking a look yeah. at it.
and it helps you with the reflective part. Right, you know, reflecting. Another thing we haven't talked about too, and I'm I'm going to address my parenting experience here, but um, <laughs> okay, matching my child's emotions never solves the actual issue, right? So I think it's so critical that. And we have to strike this fine balance, right? Because we need to be almost charismatic and dynamic as a teacher to to get that buy-in and have energy and to have all of that, but to also sure. to also strike that balance with, um, I mean, how many times have you seen a teacher, Barry, where you're like, boy, they lost it and the problem wasn't solved. So having control of your mm -hmm. emotions in the moment, um, you know, and even if you're really frustrated with a child, you know, let them know and be like, hey. I understand you want to do this right now. I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to come back. I'm going to check in with you. Right. You know, yeah. Those what I would tell my students act, don't react. Yeah. So I always tried to count to five. Like I had some students that would just push my button. I mean, one of the things that surprises my university students is when I would say to them this whole thing about act, don't react. And you're going to have students that you don't like, you know, and so, I mean, you don't want to let them know that but at the same time you just have students that push your button in and like um so i'd always try to count to five i never said anything that i couldn't back up or i didn't you know uh you can't say things like if you do that again you're never going to come you're never going to be allowed to be in the adaptive p class ever you know mm -hmm. and and so you just um you 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 really um have to not be reactionary and uh, that 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 that's really uh, critical, and you know that gets into this whole thing about does the punishment fit the crime? You know, there's there's inappropriate behavior, and then there's challenging behaviors. You know, it's one thing if you're talking in class; it's another thing if you're hitting another student. You know, so you got to really look at the uh, uh, again. You're looking at the behavior, and um that's real and and there's no bad children there's just inappropriate behavior and that's why i like to use the term in our book we just we talk about redirecting the behavior uh -huh. and how important that is and and you know having a, a continuum of 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 consequence so if, when you have rules and expectations you need to have consequences with those those rules and you know i'm not naive enough to think that we're never going to use time out for example, but but that's the number one strategy that both special ed and physical education teachers use. And, um, you know, I, I like to follow some type of continuum. Like maybe the kid needs a break, you know, yeah. the professional just needs to go out, uh, give the kid like a minute, you know, and then you, you come back in, take some deep breaths, come on back in. Um, if they are acting inappropriately, like take them to the side, have a conversation with them, a, a really quick one about what's the behavior? Why did we have you do this self timeout? I like observational timeout because if they like the physical activity we're doing, they'll want to get back in there. But then again, you got to analyze the situation. Like for example, I've I've had kids that they like they wanted to get timed out during exercises because they don't want to do the warm up exercise. So now you're reinforcing their inappropriate behavior by right. timing them out. So you have to again, it's both the science and an art, and you're blending all those things together. Well, um, that's um, I was gonna that just popped in my head. Uh, you know, blending the science and the art. Um, I guess two-part question, you know, if we have any pre-service teachers that are going through their credential program, you know, is, is, is behavior to your knowledge, you, I mean, you're obviously very familiar with Long Beach, but just to your knowledge is our behavior management strategies and building that philosophy are, are pre-service teachers provided that. And then a second part of my question, Barry, would be 
for anybody that's already in the field listening to this and they want to maybe be reflective, like you talked about that really important skill and maybe want, you know, is there, do you know of any trainings through universities available that already existing teachers could get? Or um, I know my district offers ProAct, which is a whole other thing we haven't even touched on and we don't have to go deep on it, but it's a philosophy to de-escalation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something I can get through my district, but, you know, just kind of touch on like, like what's available for people if they want to, if they ultimately want to learn more, um, not just by themselves, but maybe in a more pro- uh, professional setting. Yeah. So, so you've asked, uh, a, there's a lot to unpack there. So, um, a, a couple of things, like one of the things that I think when you have real challenging behaviors and you talked about PROAC and and their crisis prevention intervention, those types of things. When I would work with my university students um, and I had graduate students and I might have 15 teachers in a class along with some undergraduate working on certification, I would ask them, how many have gone through crisis prevention intervention training? And maybe one would raise their hand. And some of them didn't even know what I was talking about. And to me, one of the first things you need to do when you get a job is what's the district policy regarding, um, for example, anything dealing with de-escalating challenging behaviors. What we've really moved away from as a profession is physically restraining kids, right? Common sense would tell you, like, I'll, I'll give a scenario and I'll say you walk in a gym and... Um, the student is is uh, tearing up the gym and what are you going to do about it? You need to, you know, exit the student, you know, get all the students with the paraprofessional out of there. And then um, you need to make sure like your district may may tell you that you can't restrain that student and you need to um, calm voice, act, don't react, maybe get down in their level, give them time to calm down and you know, so those are all things, but you need to find out what's going on in, in, in your district uh, with that. But the so so that's one really big thing that that a lot of teachers don't do. That should be like I that should be one of the first things you do when you, you take a job in a district. Um, and most districts will have some some training or that they should, you know, and you should almost you should demand that. Um, the other thing, though, is I, I think students and and teachers, they there's a lot of really great information. There's a lot of good resources. There's the 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 positive intervention and support. There's PENT, which is um, basically with with PENT, what you're doing is that's specific to California. I gave you the link to that, and they they do these these trainings. Uh, but there's a lot of literature, like we talked about functional behavior analysis, for example. They have all kinds of worksheets and handouts on that. Um, I think you should be attending conferences, uh, national AP conference, for example. I think um, AP teachers should be demanding in services at their school that are specific to um, their needs. Uh, too often, that's not happening, and we can get into this whole thing about one of the things I did, I, I did a series of studies looking at um, how are we training uh, physical educators and adaptive physical educators in behavior management. If you want to, can we get into that for a minute or? Yeah, yeah go ahead. So, so I've always felt like we had this obligation to train our students so that they're confident to 
um, with behavior management. But I suspected for a long time that a lot of students weren't, you know, going into the field uh, feeling real good about behavior management based on their training. So uh, about 15 years ago, I started to do a series of studies with Hester and Ron and an, another colleague, Sharon Guthrie. And so the first study we did was we looked at the NCATE list of all higher ed peak programs in the country, and we sent a survey out to ask them what they were doing. So um, there, one of the first questions we looked at is, how, how many of you have a course specific to behavior management? Okay, we had a response of 135 uh, programs, um, which was about 26% of the programs, which is good when you're doing survey design research. We had six, there were six programs that had a specific behavior management class where most people, and I'm assuming, Chris, where if you got any behavior management, it was in a methods class, secondary or elementary or uh, a general methods physical education class. So then, and I knew that was what we would get. And so the follow-up question was, how much time do you dedicate to behavior management? And they would say about 25%. Well, in a 45 minute, 45 hour contact, that's maybe 11 hours. Biggest thing though, is very few had where they got to take that behavior management and apply it in a practicum setting. A lot of them, if they, they would all have a, in the methods class, they don't have a practicum, but it would be, um, they would teach a lesson, you know, and they would observe their, their, their teacher or whatever. I mean, and we looked at it, what kind of assignments do you do in behavior management? And none of them, very few develop a behavior management plan. What a lot of them do is they have them develop a, like a rules chart or, you know, those kinds of, they're, they're, I suspect, and based on what we've looked at research-wise is a lot of these methods class are really getting better at classroom management, you know, the pre-planning pre stuff, but the actual like setting up behavior management plans. And um, I would say about like less than 33% of them even talked about in these methods classes, working with at-risk kids, you know, the whole inclusion, the general P teachers are going out there and working with kids with challenging behaviors and at risk. Um, and in the open-ended question part, they said, well, that's, they, they get that in another class. They assume that they get that in the intro to adaptive P class. So, so the, those were some of the things. Then we did another study where we looked at uh, 90 AP teachers. Uh, they all were CAPE certified so um, that we surveyed. And we asked them, besides their demographics, we asked them how they were trained. And we also asked them what practices they're doing. And then we had open-ended questions. So as far as their training, they felt like they were inadequately trained. They they felt like they got some information on how to, um, you know, do orientation or classroom management, but not to set up a plan. Most of them didn't feel comfortable collecting and analyzing behaviors, you know, and if you can't do that, like we talked about earlier, that's the beginning, that's the linchpin to developing a plan. Um most of them said they didn't get any practicum experience developing a behavior management plan. Um, they Then when we went into what strategies did they use, you know, um, and we kind of like this, this data that we collected is, 
you know, descriptive data and like um, less than 60% would use physical activities or reinforcement. The number one thing they would do is use praise and about 70% would use tangible reinforcers, but praise is the one thing they would use. Um, and so when we asked them those, uh, you know, open-ended questions and we asked them about in-services, very few of them ever got an in-service specific to behavior management. They They talked a lot about where do they learn behavior management from a veteran teacher when they get in the into the school maybe mentors them or trial and error and one of the big things that the literature talks a, a lot about and there's other people that have done some studies looking at this in general pe is um as they get more experience they get more things in their toolbox or their big fat bag of tricks like Hellison says and you know as they get experience so um, you know, I've always suspected this, you know, dating back to when I was, you know, a doctoral student. But that's why I've, I I always felt like I have an obligation to for my students to go out there confident. So in our on-campus practicum, they had to develop a behavior management plan. All their assignments were, you know, built around. They had to collect data on the student. They had to write up, you know, this report on what what. Um, what they do, what they were doing, and they had to develop some type of schedule. They had to do all these things. You know, we tried to make that assignment as realistic to the public schools as 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 possible. So, just last year, we did a follow up to that that one with the AP teachers and Amanda Young and one of our grad students. We we did a, a study where we where we asked similar questions, but we added like in the survey, technology was a bigger thing now and got, you know, very similar results. We're, you know, a lot of teachers um, feel like they, they're not getting a lot of practicum experience specific to behavior management and not feeling real confident and they have to learn on their own. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and so for those teachers that have to learn on their own, um do you like do you have like a really quick like three bullet checklist you would you could like to those listening that are you know are thinking i want to improve this part of my teaching i but i don't even know where to how to start what would you yeah. what would you say to them just maybe quickly i would say that you know one you can uh, talk observe and get a mentor you know in your school a really good veteran teacher um also think like one of my pet peeves is I think we're really moving away from reading because of technology. We look at, you know, Instagram and you get a, a lot of like really quick activities that you can do. And that's great. And especially I think it's fantastic what's going on in adaptive PE because you can, you know, get some. But you, you can't develop a philosophy on Instagram and you need to read. And I mean, I'm not trying to promote my book, you know, but like. Uh, every chapter we that we've been talking about, we dedicate an entire chapter to evaluating your plan, how to develop a plan. Um, you know, going on the positive behavior intervention and support site, going on PENT, um, going to conferences. I, I, I feel like, you know, um, you really you lose a lot. Like uh, you just recently did a whole podcast on conferences and the, the idea of networking. Um those are all strategies. Our, our uh, CSULP, Melissa and Amanda do a great job on that social media site of putting little quick videos. When we started that social media site, when Melissa, um, you know, came into the program, I said, you know, one of the things is 
let's make sure that we educate the people on there um, and, and let's come up with v little videos, you know, that, that show these, these strategies. And, and, and so that gets into a whole thing about um, when I talk to my students and they want like, you know, give me a couple of strategies I can use. And that's important, but I like to say to them, and this is said a lot in education, I can give you a fish or I can teach you how to fish. You know, and I can teach you like how to develop a program that's sustainable that you can use. And then you can put little wrinkles because your program is your program. And so um, I'm biased, but I, I, I'm worried. I, I don't think teachers read and educators and just people in general read like like they could. And I know it's hard. And I know that that's what summer's for. That's what going to conferences that's, you know, is for. But um well, on that point, well, I'm you've given me a lot of links that the listeners don't know exist yet that I'm going to include in the show notes. So to your point about reading, you know, there's the article, there's some other stuff. So I will include those. I will yes. tell you that from a lead perspective of leading a department, um, myself and my uh, my colleagues that share the position with me, we 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 take that. Um, uh, it's almost like we do a lot of the reading and then try to lead the professional mm -hmm. developments. Right. You know, because we recognize exactly what you're saying. Well. Uh, yeah, let, let, so that's the problem too. Is that there aren't in services specific to behavior management. Like AP teachers should go to their special ed teacher and say, "We need an in-service on uh, behavior management, or we need an in-service on inclusion." You know, right. and lumping us in the special ed teacher says, "Well, well I'm giving you a, an in-service on behavior management with the special ed and its classrooms." They don't always understand. You got to educate your spec. You're very San Diego, LA Unified is very lucky that they, they don't realize how, how lucky those teachers that teach in that district because you've got administrators that are adapted physical educators. Yeah. That's not in every district. It's funny and you say that because some of the people that went to the conference from our department, to your point, that was put front and center for them. They're like, oh, we have it. We're like, we didn't realize that majority of the country doesn't have leads and things of that nature. And it's actually, right. it's actually very rare. A lot of times it's just somebody off on their own traveling between 12 schools in a County somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, and so they have to figure it out. And so. Every no, boss I, I ever had was a special ed director. Yeah. And, and I, you know, their heart was in it and they were good, but like, you know, we're low on the totem pole that they, they don't understand. You have to educate them. Like, and, and that takes time too, you know, and I'm a big believer in that is you, you, because we're marginalized, you need to educate everybody about what we do. I mean, it's a mind blower to me. I've been in this field for 40 years and we're still talking about, you know, least restrictive environment versus inclusion and what's, you know, and how to write an IEP. And, you know, sometimes I look up and I go, what decade am I in? Uh -huh. You know, uh, did I just get transported into a time machine and it's 1978, you know? So do. Um, not to be negative. No, I don't no, I think you're just being <laughs> honest and, and realistic. Um, positive, right? We got yeah, to be positive. But I think the, to flip that on the positive, I think we are, what, what is great about our field is that there's just a lot of great people in it that are yes. trying to do the right That's thing. That's our superpower. Yeah. That's one of the good, sorry, my God. Hey, that's my dog. Our, that's our grandchildren. All yeah. Right. yeah. No, I fully understand. Well, Barry, listen, I have, I have enjoyed every second of this conversation. Your depth of knowledge 
is quite honestly unmatched in this area. Um, are you uh, are you active on the social channels if people want to find you, or are you uh, is that not your thing? Where could pe could people reach out to you with some questions? Yeah, or? sure, okay. I'd be glad to do that. Uh, and they could just go to my email, which is pretty simple. It's B, my first initial, LeVay, and then at csulb.edu. And I, I can send that to you if you want. You know, okay. my email. Yeah, send that and you I'll have my it. email. And, and yep. the, the other thing is, you know, like the National Consortium, uh, I'm, I'm like on this little group that says Ask the Expert. They can ask a question on the National Consortium site. There's an Ask the Expert site. site. We've been doing that for four years. Nick Pete for those listening. Yeah, Nick Pete. Also, great $75 spent. I'm going to I'm gonna prop them up a bit. That is a membership yeah. that I renew every year because I find it very relevant to what we do in our in our job. So if anyone's looking to join a professional yeah. organization, uh, they do a really nice job. And, and my email is in that article, like uh, that article that I wrote that I said to you on what I've learned in 40 years of behavior management. It kind of like summarizes. It's a, a quick, it's very practitioner oriented. We published, I published it at Joeford. You know, it was one thing, one of the last things uh, before I was retiring that I wanted to write. But I mean, what's been great is Melissa and Amanda keep me involved and I get to continue to write. But um, I, I, I just think that a, a real challenge is we're not having as many in-services and uh, on behavior management. I mean, obviously I'm biased. And, and, and so teachers need to demand that and, and they need to read more. And uh, I've tried to give you a, a bunch of links and things that they can use. Um, to, Absolutely. To and I'm going to actually share those out in my weekly newsletter to my staff. So um, it's going to be I'd love to see that. Yeah, maybe yeah. send that to me. The yeah, news, yeah. Do you have a newsletter that comes out every few weeks or? Uh, we do. So we send it with. The, so what we do is we just have a running Google Doc that has headers and we have adapted phys ed department news, San Diego Unified uh, news that they need. Uh, and then we have a professional development section. And then we I kind of have a miscellaneous where like I'll include Twitter links that maybe would be helpful mm -hmm. for them. Um, and it comes out, we probably average it every two weeks just because the weekly cadence, it felt like sometimes we were really reaching to, you know, to, to fill it. And so, but yeah, we, we send it out. Uh, we call it our department update, but I can share a copy of that with you if you want to see kind of how we share yeah. our information with our staff and whatnot. So, but uh Barry, this was this was a ton of fun. Thank you for joining us. I will include all of the links you provided me in the show notes for everyone listening. Uh, if if people can start to just improve or learn their behavior management philosophy, I mean, it can just make the teaching that much better. So yeah. thank, you for, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate. Oh, it. thank you. And I, what you do is really important. And and I know it's a lot of work and a lot of juggling. And but keep it up. And and people, yeah, feel free. They can contact me. Uh, um, you know, I had people help me. Ron French had a big impact on my career. And like, you know, one of the things he taught me is that that's our superpower as the AP, like everybody's willing to share, you know. Awesome. Barry, you're the best. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thanks. All right. Take care, Chris.